0: I want to welcome our Missouri City campus with us today. Last Sunday, I was at Missouri City, and it was just so great seeing you again and being able to worship the Lord with you. And I want to thank you for being a part of this service with the Sugarland campus this morning. In 1970, we're talking almost 50 years ago, in 1970, at a Christian college named Asbury in Kentucky, an amazing thing happened. It was the beginning of the spring semester when the professors and and, uh, administrators and students got together, and they all together pledged that for that semester, they would be more intentional about their prayer life. There was all kinds of teaching about how you could pray more effectively and what prayer was really about and how you could grow in your relationship and nurture of God. It was sort of like our 40 days of prayer that we're in today. And, and the students and the administrators took it seriously. They began to intently work at how it is that I can learn to pray more effectively in my life, and I want a deeper relationship with God. And on one particular chapel service... It would seem like every other week it was maybe on a Wednesday morning whenever that chapel service was, and they gathered together. But there was a sense in the hearts of many of the students. They had even said it to each other. There is something different today. It is as though the power of God, the Spirit of God is in this service. They went through the praise time, and they came to the time of the, the sermon, and it was a dean that was supposed to give the message that day. But the dean came to the to the microphone and said, I'm totally prepared. I'm, I, I could teach this message that I felt like I was supposed to do, but I, I don't think I'm to do that. I really feel in my heart that God does not want me to teach today. And he simply began to tell them about what difference had begun to happen in his life because of the prayer emphasis of that entire school. And he shared about the repentance that had begun happening in his heart, not, not just a simple I'm sorry guy, but a deep-seated kind of repentance that had begun to happen in his heart. And, and he said his whole attitude had, had begun to change, and he was really liking the person that was emerging from this time of emphasis in prayer. And then when he finished, it was just a few minutes, he invited any student that wanted to come or any faculty member that wanted to come to the microphone to come and share what is happening in their life because of the prayer emphasis and one after another. There was no delay, just one after another began to come to the microphone and share about the the, the, the relationship that was happening that was emerging in their hearts and the deep-seated repentance that was happening in their life. It was just a constant theme of everyone that was coming and, and the broken relationships that had been restored. And they, And the, the, the more the testimonies kept coming the deeper their, the sense of the presence of God was in that room. And finally, one of the professors just went to the mic and said, look, how, if you want to come forward today, professors are students, if you want to come forward today for repentance, just come on down. Just come on down and get on your knees. Well, they just flooded. So many people came that it was just clogged up the whole front, and people were were kneeling at the front five deep, and and it got to the place that no one else could get to the front, and and they just stopped in the aisles and got on their knees and on their face before God, and they just began to pray. And people at their pews or their seats would just get up and kneel right there at their seats, and people just began to pray, and pray for all hour, and then into the next hour, and there was times in which there was sort of a whimpering of crying, just a soft crying in different places in the auditorium because individuals, as they were praying, began to pour out their heart to God, and tears came. And what happened then is that every so often there would be one student that would get up and they would see a different student and they would go to that student and they would hug each other. They would restore broken relationships. And finally, one of the deans stood up and said, I'm canceling all the rest of the classes for the rest of the day. And you would think that when they canceled all the classes for the rest of the day, everybody said, say, well, let's get up and go. There's a lot of things we could do right now with no classes. Nobody got up. They just kept praying and praying and hour after hour. And, in fact, that prayer meeting, and I'm not exaggerating, that prayer meeting lasted 185 hours. Almost eight days long, that prayer meeting kept going at Asbury College. In that worship center, in fact, people would come and they would pray for a couple of hours. They would leave and they would go have a meal and they'd come back and pray again. And they, they would go back and go to bed and they'd come back and for almost eight days continual prayer was happening and brokenness and and restoration of relationships was happening across that campus. It was absolutely amazing. Revival was touching everyone, the the students and the the faculty and the deans and the employees, and it began to splash out into the churches that were there in that town, and revival began to break out in those churches. And then there were a group of students that were from Anderson, Indiana, and they decided— let's get in our cars, let's go home. There's no classes. Let's get in our car and go home and tell our parents what happened and tell our pastors what happened. And they went, and they shared what had taken place in their life, and, and the pastors got together. They started praying, and they started inviting members of their church to get together and telling the story of Asbury. And, and revival broke out in Anderson, Indiana. And for 50 straight nights, 50 straight nights, they were meeting in their churches, and thousands of people were gathering in their They were praying and they were praising and they were preaching. And hundreds of people came to know Christ as Savior. And then, by the end of May of 1970, the students of Asbury College had organized themselves into 2,000 witnessing teams. 2,000 witnessing teams, and when summer came and now they were free, they took off to every college, university, and summer school that they could find to other churches. And by the end of the summer of 1970, 130 colleges, seminaries, and Bible schools had been spiritually impacted with revival. All of this started how? was not some organization. It wasn't some, here's how we're going to put all this together. It was none of that. They dared not touch what only God can touch. It is because... They overcame the obstacles that stop revival. The key to spiritual renewal is getting past the obstacles of sin and doubt and broken relationships. Once you get past the obstacles of sin in your life and my life, once we get past the obstacles of sin and doubt toward God and broken relationships, an amazing thing begins to happen in our life. And this is what Pastor Tim Holmer preached on last Sunday, and he did for a reason. because we know this is the key. This is the moment of truth. Instead of coming and listening to a sermon... Instead, grab hold of the principles and say, I've got to put this in my life. I've got to enact this in my life. This is the key. And the key to coming to a place of spiritual renewal in all of our lives is to come to a place in which we overcome the obstacles of the sin in our life. And I don't mean just saying, oh, God, I am sorry. I mean coming to the place of sheer brokenness and and, and humility before God and letting him break that sin that chains us, break that sin that chains us and come to a place of total brokenness before a holy God and coming to a place of trusting God again, re, re, being willing to, to set aside doubt and trust God for who he is and what he does again and coming to the place of restoring broken relationships. And this is what Pastor Tim Homa was trying to teach us and did so well last week. This is the key to spiritual renewal. I am praying. I am praying for brokenness in my heart and in your heart and in our hearts. I am praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God among us, and the provision of God for your family and for our church. I am praying that our little children learn how to pray. I am praying in these 40 days that our teenagers learn how to pray and that our teenagers have this deep-seated hunger in their heart to begin to gather with other teenagers and to begin to pray for each other and pray for our youth ministry in revival and pray for their lost friends. I'm praying for revival that happens among our teenagers, and I am praying that across our three campuses, that there is a growing sense of prayer within our families, so that our families can imagine can you imagine this, that our families are praying together husbands and wives praying together, parents and children praying together, siblings praying together, that there is prayer in all of our families. I'm praying that our parents would stop worrying about their kids and start praying about their kids. And I am praying that our adults will begin to gather just like our teenagers and gather together as groups. There is power in praying individually. We've got to do that. This is part of how God brings us to brokenness in praying individually. But there is also power in praying together. And it's the power of praying together that we have lost, especially in such an individualistic culture as Western culture is. We have lost the concept of the power of praying together in groups. I'm praying for this to happen among us. And if it does, we will see the power of God in our midst, and we will be used of God in a way that we never thought possible. In our small groups on Sunday, our groups are gathering, our our connect groups, and they're praying. And during the week, they're praying. And if you're not a part of a connect group, I'm asking you, open your heart. Go to the Next Step Center on both campuses today. Go to the Next Step Center and, and say, I want to be a part of a connect group. And we'll get you into that group and help you begin to pray with a group of other people. We're in 40 days of prayer. And I don't know what God's going to do. I haven't put any limitations or any expectations on God. I've just said, God, here it is. I don't know what God's going to do among us, but I do know what he can do. And this morning I want to talk to you now in this next step. I want to talk to you about getting results in your prayers. I want to zero in on four key principles, and all four key of, for of these key principles are found in one passage of scripture, two verses, Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. These two verses have four key principles. And I listen, don't just, I want you to take notes, but don't just take notes for the sake of then take, going home and stuffing it somewhere. I'm asking you to open your heart and say, God, would you begin to build this into my life? And so notice what he says in Psalm chapter 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. These two verses are going to coach us in how we can get past this not anything happening in our prayer life to something great happening in our prayer life. So give it the opportunity to be the coach today. And the first principle is this idea. Praying for results starts by praying with passion. So notice how he puts it in verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires, the desires of your heart. That word desires is a word in the Hebrew and by the way in the Greek that means something that you crave and you seek with passion. It's the word passion that he's actually using, not desires. We can have in English uh, very uh, small desires and great desires, but he is using the word that means deep-seated passion. It's exactly the word Jesus was using. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, when he said, Therefore I say unto you, what things you desire... What things you are deeply passionate about. He's talking about passion. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. God is not talking about some whims that we pray about today and we don't even remember what we prayed about tomorrow. He's not talking about the whims that comes and goes in our life. He is talking about deep-seated passion. Those of you who have been parents of small children know exactly you've you've had an opportunity to see it really demonstrated, played out in front of you. When, children, you're trying to think of what am I going to get my kids or my grandkids for Christmas or for birthday, and you ask them the question, most of the time they'll give you an answer of what they just heard about. I mean, Matthew and Jonathan, when they were growing up as little kids, they would, it was whatever commercial they just saw of whatever toy on the cartoon channel, they would turn to me and say, Daddy, I have always, all my life, wanted that toy. I, the, I, the, I've got to have that toy. I mean, they'd say it over and over, and then they would switch it about five minutes later or 15, 20 minutes later. But the next day, they couldn't remember what the toy was. But all their life, they had wanted it somehow. I don't know. But every so often, what would happen in their lives is that, they would, that something would grab hold, and they, and they, and they, would, they would grab it, and they, they want this. This is what I really do want. And it's day after day and week after week, and we knew what to get them. It had become a passion in their heart. Uh, our family got the opportunity to see that played out in front of us just this last week because our youngest grandson, Jack Mark, just turned four years old. I can not hardly believe it. That little baby is now four, and he turned four years old. And did you know that not one of us, the grand, two sets of grandparents and parents and all, nobody communicated with each other. What, what do you think we, you ought to get or we ought to get for, for little Jack Mark? Nobody even had to and when we all came together and 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 all the presents were given it was all the same kinds of presents same theme of presents none of them duplicated but the same theme it was all about Paul patrol Paul patrol his whole life is now circled around Paul Patrol, the, the, the Paul Patrol uh, cartoons and, the, and, and all the Paul Patrol stuff. And I'm telling you, that boy got Paul Patrolled on his birthday. He got everything you could imagine. And I was responsible for Kathy and my present. I, I take care of the boy's presents because I went to the store and I looked through all the Paul Patrol stuff and which Paul Patrol thing would I most like to play with? This is how I always buy everything. Look, I'm in not all business. I am not all serious. I play. I get down on the floor. I play with my grandkids. I played with my boys. And we play, man. And we, I got him the thing that I'm thinking is going to be the most fun thing I could ever play with with Paul Patrol. So passion. We tapped into the Passion. And God is saying, I want you to do the very same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Now, two things I want you to grab hold about in this passage. First of all, the you, every time he says you or he implies you, it is in plural. He is talking about his disciples gathering together and asking together and gathering together and seeking together and knocking together. He is talking about them coming together. But the second thing that you'll notice in the passage is that all the verbs are in the imperative form and that the imperative means keep on. In other words, he said, keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. This is not a whim. This is the passion of your heart. You can't even stop. I just keep asking. Every time I pray, I ask. 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 How many times do we need to keep praying until he tells us one way or another? We keep on asking, we keep on seeking, we keep on knocking, and we do not stop. As groups, as individuals, it is the passion of our heart. God taps into the passion of our heart. God answers passions. That's the first thing that we see in the passage. The second thing we see is that praying for results requires that I focus on what, not how. This is going to take some thinking here. You're going to have to stay with me on this. This is critical for your prayer life. He requires us to focus on what, not how. Notice how he puts it in Psalm 37 verse 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he he shall I circle the two words, he shall. He shall bring it to pass. Notice, he will give it to you. He will bring it to pass. You cannot bring it to pass. You cannot do a miracle. We together cannot do a miracle. I know people use the word miracle now so loosely that, oh, let's work together, and we together will create a miracle. No, we can't. We can do some great things together. We can do some wonderful things individually, but we cannot do miracles. There's only one person that can do miracles, and that is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He can do miracles, and he's the only one that can do miracles. And notice, he will bring it to pass, not you, not me. He will answer, not you and not me. You and I cannot bring it to pass to pass, only he can. Bill Austin wrote a book on prayer called How to Get What You Pray For, and he opened my eyes. He totally opened my eyes. One little thing he said. He was saying that there are two two kinds of prayers. There's a primary prayer and there's a secondary prayer. And the primary prayer is we tell God the deep desire, the deep passion of our soul. That's the what. We tell God what. And that's what God invites us to do. But there's a secondary prayer in which we try to tell God how to fulfill the desire. How to bring about the passion. And most of our unanswered prayers are the secondary prayers. And this is why you stopped praying. This is why you stopped praying. Because you had so many secondary prayers in which you were telling God, this is when I need this, this is how I need this, here is the game plan, and he does not obey you. And he did not do it. And there we go. I, I prayed. I did my very best. And God didn't come through. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm just not going to keep praying. It's just a waste of my time. And this is why you stop praying. Because it was secondary prayers in which you were telling God how and when you need this to be done and that Deadline passed and the way passed and God didn't do a bloomin' thing and okay this is this what I what I thought. Paul tells us about secondary prayers when he prayed and that God did not give him what he wanted. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and 8 and on. And here's what he says. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. And three times God said no. This is the Apostle Paul for crying out loud. And three times I went to God and said, oh God, I cannot handle the pain of this thorn in the flesh. I cannot deal with this. It is too hurtful. It's, it's too difficult. I can't do it. Get rid of this thorn in the flesh. And all three times God said no. No. Now, Paul had a primary prayer, and the primary prayer was, God, use me. Use me so powerfully that there is no explanation for what you're doing in my life, but the hand of the Lord hath done this thing. Oh, God, use me far beyond what I could have ever dreamt to be used. Oh, God, I want you to be the core of my life, and I want to make a difference. Oh, God, I want my life to make a difference. But a secondary prayer, God, while you're doing that, I got this thorn in the flesh, and I need you to get rid of this thorn in the flesh in my life. And three times he prayed, and three times God said, no. Why? Because God wanted to use that thorn in the flesh so that Paul would rely on God instead of himself. So what is your thorn in the flesh? Because I promise you, you got one, R2, R10. 10 What is the thorn in the flesh? And you've gone to God and, oh, God, would you please get rid of this and i got a time for you to get done and how you get done with it. And God says, no, I don't take orders from you. But this passion of your heart for me to use you, the answer is yes. And by the way, I have brought the thorn in the flesh in your life so that you can stay humble and stay dependent upon me And so, no, I'm not letting the thorn in the flesh go, not yet verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul is saying, and God said to me, I said, God, would you get rid of this thorn? No, three times, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul, while you are going through the pain of this thorn in the flesh in your life, I'm actually using your weakness to show my strength in you. I'm actually making you stronger than you would have been otherwise and when Paul came to realize that here's what he said whoa therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses I delight in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties for when I'm weak then I'm strong he gave up his secondary prayer and he said, I want the primary prayer, and God, I want you to give, put so much power and strength in my life, and I want you to use my life so powerfully. I don't care what comes in my life. God said no to Paul's how and when so that he could say yes to Paul's what. And my question to you, is that, is that happening in your life? Is that what is going on in your life? If you want to be successful in praying, learn to focus on what is the deepest heart's desires and leave the how up to God. I have violated that so many times. And I look back at some times that I've been so deeply disappointed about prayer. And in every one of those times, it was because I violated the how and the when. So, why doesn't God do how we want him to do in answering our prayers? Why? Because, first of all, God has a better perspective than we do. We have a very limited perspective. We can see this little sliver of time we call now, but God sees the whole picture Second of all, because God has a better plan than us. Here is Isaiah, the great Isaiah of 2,800 years ago, and he says, Isaiah 55 verse 8, this plan of mine, Isaiah is talking about his own plan, this plan of mine is not the way you would work it out, God. And I've come to realize it. I've got, see, they were already building plans for God all the way back then too. But I've come to understand, God, you will not do my plan. And third, because God has a greater purpose. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, God says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. There is a sovereign of the universe and his name is Lord God Almighty. And here is what God says to you and me. Find the passions of your heart and pour them out to me and let me do what I will do when I will do it, and trust me. Here's this third thing. Praying for results happens when I open my heart to what God wants. This is going to be the toughest one to grab hold of, so so walk with me. Psalm 37 verse 4 says it this way, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The key word I want you to see in circle is the word Delight. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? To delight yourself in the Lord means that you want to please God. His will has become your will. You have come to the place that it isn't about you anymore. It is, I want to please God. I really want to please God. And so what happens? When you want what God wants... If you get nothing else from this message, get this. When you want what God wants, then you can have whatever you want. Now, you see this up here? I'm going to ask us to say this out loud together. I want you to hear your own voice make this statement. Say it with me. You ready? Both campuses. Here we go. When you want what God wants, then you can have whatever you want. Doesn't this make sense? And so the key, really, the greatest key to prayer is coming to want what God wants. Well, how do I know what God wants? It is forever tied to the purposes of God, to bring his name glory, to bring glory to the name of God and to reach others for himself. This is what God is about. This is what God wants. This is the desire of God. And he says that if you pray according to my desires, you can have whatever you want when your desires line up with mine. Here's what we do in prayer. We are trying to convince God to change his mind. Or maybe, God, you are neutral about this particular issue by chance, and so let me convince you this thing ought to happen, and this is what I want. And God says, actually, I'm not neutral about anything. And second of all, what I'm asking for prayer to do in you is to change you to line up with me, not me to line up with you. Now, you work with me on this, okay? You work with me. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. He said that over and over. Did he not? You ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. And, but to ask in his name does not mean at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. That, does, that's not, that doesn't get it. And I say in Jesus' name, amen. I, it's a habit of mine doing it, and I love the habit and plan to keep it. But that is not the key. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now I get everything I just asked for. That is not what he meant. So what did he mean when he said to pray in my name? It meant pray in my heart purposes pray in my will that is his name and let me illustrate it let's say you go on a business trip many of you guys go on business trips and gals and you you go on some business trip somewhere and guess what in this story of mine you're going to Hawaii on a business trip why not why not go to Hawaii if I'm going to make up a story let's go to Hawaii so you go on a business trip to Hawaii And you've got a company credit card, and you're told you can charge whatever it is that you need for this trip in the company's name. And so you go on the trip and then now you got to keep receipts and you got to mark on the receipts wh- wh- who was involved and what it was about just like all the staff in this church have to do we're all accountable we got to make sure that we have receipts that can pass an auditor and so you we have to write all that stuff you got to write that fill out a PO maybe and maybe you are standing or sitting in front of your boss and you are given account of all your expenses okay there's an the expense of the flight good for you yeah at We'll cover that. And then comes to, oh, the the meals. Yeah, absolutely, we'll cover that. And the hotel, when you got a hotel right on the beach, man, I mean, you did it great. And, yeah, we'll cover that. That's, That's covered in this. And then a new set of golf clubs. Wait a minute. New set of golf clubs. Well, you said I could get whatever I wanted on this trip. And he says, in the company's name. Okay, I bought them in the company's name. No, you don't understand. It was for the purpose of the business trip. It was for the goals of the business trip. And your golf clubs are on you. Uh, By the way, we're going to need a check right now on the golf clubs. And God is saying, in essence, Jesus is saying, in my name according to my purposes and my will and here is the thing I want to tell you you don't have to be afraid of wanting what God wants you don't have to be afraid of wanting what God wants Because he wants the best for you, and he doesn't just give you the bare minimum. Take a look at your life. He gives you far more. He lavishes on you. He loves you. He gives to you. And in fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. God loves you and cares for you both in heaven and on earth. And he is blessing you, and you don't have to be afraid of God. He wants the very best for your life. He wants the very best for your life, and you don't have to worry. Oh, no, if I want the will of God, I will only have the worst. No, you will only have the best. Learning how to come to God with an open heart, God. This is this is the passion that I have in my heart, but God, I'm, I'm inviting you to change this. I'm in, I want to come in line with your with your passion, with your will, because it's better than mine. You will take, you will take my passion and you will, you will square root it to what, who knows how much, you will do far more in my life than I ever dreamed. I want your will. So, God, this is this passion of my heart. I bring it to you. Now, Father, would you take it far beyond whatever imagined? That's what I'm asking you to do. There is one last thing, and for number four. Praying for results requires that we commit our need to God's care. Psalm 37, verse 5. This is the last one. Commit your way to the Lord. This is the first phrase. Trust in the Lord, and he will bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in the Lord, and he'll bring it to pass. What does it mean to commit your way to the Lord? It means that I hand it completely over to God. I take this passion that, that I have now gone to God. And, God, I'm not asking to try to change your mind. I'm asking you to update mine and to, to make mine even better. And, God, this is the passion that I'm bringing to you and to completely, by the way, there are times in which I cannot get an understanding of the passion of God for my passion. You see what I'm saying? Hey, I want it to be even greater in what God wants, and there are times in which I just ask the Holy Spirit to pray on my behalf. This is Romans chapter 8. He says there are times in which we do not know how to pray, and so we have an intercessor, the Holy Spirit, who prays for us in words that we do not understand because he knows the will of. God. Look it up in in Romans chapter 8. And there are times in which we don't know, God, I don't know how you want to take this to the next level. And so, Holy Spirit, would you pray for me? On my behalf, I want the will of God. Now, number four is this. You come to the place then to completely hand it over to God. I completely hand my path over to God. I trust Him. I let it go. I trust Him. You really haven't done this, have you? Let me just change the word. We really haven't done this, have we? Because there are times in which, no, I don't want to do this because I'm afraid God will mess it up. I don't want to hand this over. I'm afraid he'll mess it up. I want you to think of it in this way. Let's imagine today that every single person in this room has in your purse or in your pocket $500,000. It's right there. Now, I'm going to tell you, how many in this room could say, Yay, God, today if you had a half a million dollars sitting in your pocket? Yes, we could, do a whole bunch of. Uh, now, I know you're looking holy at me, and I bet you at Missouri City you are too, but I guarantee every one of us, if in our hearts, or have a hand up. I could say, Yay, God, for a half a million dollars in my pocket. Sure I could. And you've got, let's imagine, you've got a half a million dollars in your pocket and you're just carrying it around. You're trying to keep it safe. But you come to realize if somebody finds out I've got a half a million dollars in my pocket, they're going to knock me over the head and they're going to take it from me. I have got to go do something else with this money. So you go to the bank and you open up an account and you put the half a million dollars in the bank. And when you put the half a million dollars in the bank, what do you do next? You go get your shotgun and a tent and you stay outside in the front of the bank and you guard the bank because it's got your half a million dollars. No, you don't do that. And if you do it, you're going to end up in jail. No, you don't do that. You take it to the bank and you give it to them and they give you a receipt and then you go home. You maybe go out to eat. You go uh, watch a Texas Rangers baseball game and watch them lose again or, or you go watch the Astros. or you, you, you go do something fun. You go to sleep. You, you have great dreams because you know that money is safe. And if we ever can come to the place to do the same thing with God that we do with the bank, it's going to be amazing what happens in our life. In which we come to the place with God to trust him. If you've allowed God's desire to become your desire, or you've even handed it to the Holy Spirit and he's prayed on your behalf, if you have focused on the what and you're leaving the how to him and the when to him, Trust Him to bring it to pass. How do you know that you're really trusting God with a need? How do you know it? Well, here's the three keys. Number one, your fear is gone. You're not fearful of it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is really going to happen. You're not fearful anymore. You've handed it over. You're not fearful anymore. There's no fear. Second of all, your complaining has ceased. God is not doing this on time. God is not doing this right. God is, what is wrong with God? You have stopped complaining about God. And you've said, God, I'm trusting you for the when, I'm trusting you for the how, and I'm just trusting you. And the third is, your impatience has calmed, and you are giving God time to act. And if these three things are happening in your life, you really have committed your way to the Lord, and you've left it by faith. It is impossible to trust God to act in our life and reject him at the same time. And if you have not given your heart to Jesus, you need to do it today. I've, you, we usually have two invitations, but I've preached longer today than I should have, and I, and I don't have time for two invitations, but I do have time for one. And the one is if there is a sense in your heart, I need to know this God. I need to know Jesus as my Savior. Or I'm visiting this church, and I want to be a member of Sugar Creek. Or I just want someone to pray with me and for me. Go in just a few minutes to the Next Step Center. We've got ministers galore in there, and we will help you and we'll pray with you, and we will attend to your need. Give us the opportunity at the Next Step Center. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We care for you. We want your heart. We want to learn how to pray. We want to finally learn how to pray in a way that gets results. So, Father, take these words that have been spoken and the truths that have been delivered, and may this be more than just another sermon we checked off. May this become life-changing in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.